Hello, everybody, and welcome to Adventures in Angular, episode number two. Today on our panel, we have Aaron Frost. Hello. And I'm Joe Eames, your host. Our episode today is going to be about hosting an Angular meetup. And we have two guests with us, Matt Zabriskie and Sharon Diorio. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves? Go ahead, Sharon. (laughs) I'm Sharon Diorio. I've been running the AngularJS Boston meetup for about a year and a half and basically got it started because I was whining about there not being an Angular meetup in Boston and somebody finally said, well, then start one. And I found myself kind of coordinating, finding speakers, etc. And here I am you know, a year and a half later with over 700 members, and we're just kind of chugging along. So was there that moment when you said, fine, then I will? (laughs) Kind of, because I was that person that was caught whining about something that I could do something about, right? Awesome. Matt? Yeah, my name is Matt Zabriskie. I'm running the AngularJS Utah meetup, really similar, actually, to Sharon's experience with starting it. I work for a company called AtTask, and about a year ago, (laughs) we moved over to using Angular, And all of us were really novice at it. And we wanted to kind of find a place where we could learn from the community. Utah has a really active uh, JavaScript community, probably just generally a tech community, really. Um, And there's quite a handful of JavaScript-centric meetups, but none of them really focus specifically on Angular. And so we figured, hey, we'll start the meetup and bring the knowledge to us. And it's worked out really well. Awesome. I think one of the first questions we definitely should be asking is, when you're starting up a meetup, what are the big things to look out for? So the pitfalls? Yeah. Finding reliable sponsorship was probably the hardest thing for me because finding space Mm. was fairly easy because there were plenty of companies that wanted like a group of highly hireable developers to show up once a month and they could, you know, pitch them about jobs, but finding uh, a company willing to write a check every month for some pizza and beer or whatever was a little bit harder. And then even better, finding a single sponsor that would handle it all to just remove that load from you. So there would be somebody on site who would, you know, order pizza and such. Because I found myself more than once kind of lugging cases of beer upstairs and thinking, this sucks. I got to find a better way to do this. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Matt? What was the biggest pitfall you get, you wish you'd known about beforehand? Having a contingency plan for speakers not showing up, that bit me in the butt a few months ago. We had some speakers lined up, and uh, at the same time, I got texts from both my speakers and said, I'm running probably 30 minutes behind, and I had nothing. So we kind of just scrambled, and Kent Dodds actually jumped out of the audience and said, hey, I got something cool I can show off. And <laughs> so he, he got up and he saved my bacon, fortunately. So lesson learned. I've got I've got to talk in my back pocket at any moment if I have to give it. So <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So what about the organizational tool? Is there Are both of you using meetup.com? Yep. Yeah. Is there any alternatives out there, or is meetup.com pretty much it? It kind of seems like the de facto to me. I mean, I haven't really explored anything beyond meetup, just because that seems like where most meetups locally have been organizing things from. Uh, so I kind of just follow that same pattern myself, and honestly don't have any complaints with it, so I haven't really needed to look for anything else. Same here. I mean, I don't even know where I would look for another group, a user group, other than going straight to Meetup. So, so you guys really just didn't even consider anything. Meetup.com was the place to go. Yeah. yeah we- cool. What are the first steps? Because a lot of the listeners are going to be in areas where they're feeling the same frustrations that you had, Sharon. What are the steps you go through? 
how much money am I? I want to talk about these things because I want to encourage people. Hopefully, we get some new chapters based off of this podcast. And if you do, you need to tweet us and let us know you did it. But what are some of the things that you need? Like, so you need sponsorship. You need a place to do it. Do you need to incorporate? How much does meetup cost? Stuff like that. Really, you just need to decide. You just need to say, okay, I'm going to do this. And then what I found, especially because of the Angular community being so active and excited there is probably some pent-up desire for this wherever you are. And as soon as I put the site up on Meetup, like, I had 80 members overnight. Like, boom. You know, clearly there were people waiting (laughs) for this to exist. I would guess that it'd be that way in most places. But once you have that, then you have the source for who to check out. Like, you can send out a message to those 80 people saying, hey, by the way, we're looking for space. And these people work in places that would be willing to share space and sponsorship and et cetera. And then you just kind of build from there. As far as meet up the, the cost of the site, I think it's like $70 per six months. Something or is that, like that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can get a sponsor to cover it. You know, it's, it's not much in the grand scheme of things, but, but it is a cost. Yeah. And you can do it month by month if you just don't have the, the full six months in advance. But as far as how much cost to anticipate for sponsorship, We've been averaging between 80 and 100 people coming to each meetup. And I want to say like 300 to $350 a month to cover like pizza and beer. Beer's optional. It's kind of a given for the meetups in Boston, but I don't know if it's a given everywhere else. But because you're asking people to come straight from work, it is kind of nice to give them a little something to eat. So Yeah. Wicked beer. Wicked beer. Yeah, that's <laughs> wicked beer. We got to hit the packy on the way. At the wicked meetup. That's awesome. What about you, uh, Zabriskie? I'd say we're probably pretty similar. It just depends on the month with like what we decide for food. So some stuff we can bring in. We have about the same attendance, about 80 people, probably on the high end, 85. So some months we can get by on a couple hundred bucks, depending on what we bring in. Some months we'll splurge and spend a little bit more. I think our highest has been like maybe 600 bucks, just depending on like our food choice. This is Utah, so we actually don't bring in beer. <laughs> Not a lot of people drink, so that's root beer. Root beer. Maybe we should have root beer, bro. <laughs> Atask has been a really good sponsor for us. It's been fortunate just not having to go out and look for, you know, financial support from the community. Atask has been really good at giving us a place to meet as well as providing whatever we need as far as like paying our meetup dues and bringing in food. And that was kind of one of the goals is we didn't want the meetup to cost anything to the members. I think that kind of helps draw people a little more than if there was like a monthly due that might stay some of the people off. And so having, having a really good sponsor helps with that a lot. I think that helps attendance as well. It just gives people know they can show up, they get free dinner, um, they can get some great talks and then, you know, socialize and network with people, which is really kind of the purpose of going to these meetups. I've got a question I want you guys both to answer. When you started your meetup, how, I mean, I'm sure the first month there was um, a handful and then it's grown into it sounds like you both have 70 to 100 people coming every month. How fast did it grow into that? Like, and organic was that growth? And how much did you have to put into making it grow? Or did it, was it just 100% organic growth? So for myself, it was really organic. I mean, we created the meetup page and overnight we had a couple dozen people without any, anything other than just it was on the meetup page. Once we started like pumping it out on Twitter, I think we, we probably hit 100, 150 within the first week or so. And then it's just been a steady stream ever since. We just hit 400 members last week. And I think on average, we probably get about three or four members a week joining the group. 
And how many come to the meetings? How how's that ramp up going? Like how many came to your first meeting versus how many come now? Our very first one, we had about 30, maybe 35 RSVPs. And we kind of had a smaller space originally thinking, you know, this will get us by for the first six months until we outgrow it. Our first meetup was standing room only, which, you know, was way, way bigger than what we expected. And so we actually had to get bigger space since then. Our current space holds about 100 people. And we're kind of coming up on that threshold. So, yeah, the growth was just way faster than what we had planned for. We thought we had six months and we outgrew it the first time. Hmm. Yeah, our first meetup was kind of the same way because, again, that pent-up demand was there. We just did kind of an intro to Angular-type talk, and we had, I want to say, 110 people show up. Wow. It was, we had 100 chairs, and there were people standing. So now I will also warn that we had a little bit of a drop-off after the first meeting. I think it was just the excitement from the first, like, oh, my God, we've all got to go see what this is, check it out. And then we dropped off probably into the 70 to 80 range, but then it just ramped back up and stayed pretty steady in that 80, like I said, 80 to 100 range, depending on the topic and speaker and timing. Cool. That's way, that's like intense to think about trying to get a little get up of people together. And all of a sudden you're like <laughs> the parent of a, of a group of a hundred people every month. That'd be, in, that'd be intense. Yeah. Yeah. You guys wouldn't know anything about that, would you? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. Once a year, not 12 times a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's way cool. What are some of the cooler topics and what are some of the, if you were as a presenter, you could say, hey, stop trying to talk about this like we've talked about it enough? I don't think I've hit that limit on any single aspect yet because each time we have a speaker, they're bringing in some different aspect of it or things have changed enough to talk about it again and it's a fast-changing kind of environment. So yeah, even a version change, a single-digit version change, change can be a big thing. Yeah. As far as the things that people love hearing about, they always love hearing about experiences that companies have had using Angular in different situations. Like, how do I scale this to, you know, X number of users? Or we had one group that was using it completely. They're an advertising network. So they're doing, they're not even doing UI, but they're using Angular to manage all of that stuff kind of on the side. You know, so it's just seeing the different companies and how they're using it. This there's never a shortage of of interest in that. Mm, that's awesome. What about you, Matt? I send out a survey with like the welcome email when people first sign up, just kind of ask, you know, what's your experience with Angular? What topics are you interested in learning about? What day works best to meet? That kind of stuff. And as far as like the topics of like what people are the most interested in, the two that stand out the most is just how to write directives, like custom directives, that kind of stuff. And then along the same lines as what Sharon was saying, just how do you make Angular scale? Like once you get into like more like building enterprise applications, things that are a lot larger, how do you set up your project? How do you make everything work at that scale? We actually record all of our meetups and then we post them on YouTube. And the two, the two that have got the most hits are um, our very first one, actually. We had a, a talk by one of our developers here at Attask named Derek Stoby. He did a, a training on how to use Karma and Jasmine and writing tests for Angular with that. I mean, that's got almost like 3,000 hits on our YouTube channel. And then we had another talk on using Bootstrap with Angular. Mm. And that one surprisingly has been like our most popular one on YouTube anyway. Something about that just like really struck a chord. I'm not sure what it was exactly, but that is apparently a really interesting topic for people. That is interesting. 
You mentioned recording. How important is it to record the meetups? Is that something that people should really be concerned about if they're going to start a new meetup? I think it's an added bonus just because you kind of have a library after a while, you know. It helps kind of promote your own meetup. People see it on the YouTube channel. They're more aware of your meetup. Oh, that's a local thing I could go to or whatever. Or especially for people that's like, I'd really like to go, but it's on a day of the week. I can never make it. Or something came up this month and I'm not able to attend. You can still go back and watch those videos. Right. So it's definitely not a must have, but I think it's a really nice to have. Yeah. We didn't do it for the longest time. We made some attempts at it and it's surprisingly more technical than you would think if you're not in a space that has built in AV that you can't just, you know, sometimes you, if you have somebody to set up a camera and run it and can get the right view of the speaker, the right audio, including the slides, etc., it can work. But again, it, it's a little more involved than I anticipated anyway. But fortunately, and I need to give a shout out to our, our sponsor, Cengage in Boston. They've been fantastic. They, you know, their space is wonderful. They've got, they actually give us AV people to do this. Uh, so we've started with the last few meetups posting the videos. And as he said, it's a, it's a great added bonus, but I don't think people should consider it a roadblock to, oh, I can't put the videos online. You're really doing this because you're giving the community a place to come and the, the talks are the enticement, but the real value is in talking to people during the meetups, after the meetups, you know, asking questions, making networks, uh, you know, networking, uh, et cetera. So. Well, that kind of leads into my next question, which was about format. Like, how do you guys format your meetups? And do you have ideas on how you would like to change those formats for allowing for more speakers, more lightning talks, more socializing and connecting? What, what do you guys do? I mean, our format has been pretty much we have a time for networking and pizza and we have a talk. And then a lot of times the space has got, you know, you're asking people to stay late. So you kind of have to usher people out the door. But as far as you know, arranging for topics. It's really whatever you can line up for speakers. And I, I'll say that that's probably the ongoing challenge for me now that I've got the space and sponsorship straightened out is making sure that there's a pipeline of speakers because there's timing issues and people are sort of interested. And it is a commitment to, you know, uh, invest in the time to create a, a talk. And sometimes you've got to do some lightning talks because you can't line up like, oh, the big speaker that we want to have you know, this huge meetup around and, and that's okay. Okay. Like I'll said. come. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like seriously, we need people to stand up there. So that's been my experience is that it, the agenda kind of forms around whatever speakers you can, you can line up. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of always playing around with the format, just kind of getting feedback from people and trying to make it a little bit better. Our general format is, you know, we just start off with food because people, even though I say like, hey, it starts at six o'clock, people start trickling in at like 530 because it's like they're getting off work. They don't want to go home first. It doesn't make sense. So I just kind of change it. To like we just start food at 530 till six. I usually try and do two 30 minute talks. I think that meets well with people's attention span. When we first started, I would do one one hour talk, mostly because like it was a new thing, not a lot of support yet. And one speaker was the most I could really find anyway. But those talks kind of felt a little bit long. Not that they weren't good, just I think people kind of started losing focus a little bit. So now that I've got a little more people involved, two 30-minute talks seems to be pretty well the right balance. And I like to try and do either two intermediate talks so that it's kind of in the middle of the road or one beginner and one advanced. I've erred on the side of, in the past, having like one advanced talk and the newcomers are kind of like, this is like way over our heads or one 
really intro level talk and people are like, this is so boring. So trying to find that balance took a while. But then after two 30 minute talks, we'll do usually about an hour of just networking where people can kind of socialize. Hey, I'm looking for a job. Oh, I'm looking to hire someone, whatever it might be. And that part usually seems to be like the, the thing that people love the most, because even after an hour of that, I still kind of have to usher people out and be like, Hey, I got to lock the doors. People need to go home. You know, um, I wish, I wish we could do that for two hours. If it was a possibility, it's just kind of hard to make that work. Mm. First of all, I needed to make a comment, and this is from Matt. Uh, your most popular, I'm actually kind of appalled that that's your most popular YouTube video because of the huge error in the title, bro. The title says Crossing the Beams, which is clearly a reference to Ghostbusters, which is actually ca- crossing the street. Beams. Right. Call them beams, though, right? Like, I'm not cool with that. So I'm kind of weirded out that that's your most popular video. But anyway, what are some of the benefits you guys have seen as an organizer of an AngularJS meetup? I I organize a Google developer group, and I've I've had some huge advantages there. Talk specifically about, like, in Utah, it's hard to recruit an Angular developer that's solid. And I'm imagining that being an organizer makes that a little bit easier. Can you guys talk about that a little bit? We haven't really done much recruiting, although I will admit that if we had to, it would give me a very big advantage because I'm plugged into the community and I do know, uh, I, I have like the short list of people that I would call right now, <laughs> basically. The reverse side is, is that if you are at all thinking about your own options, there's never a day goes by where you're not thinking, hey, I could go here, I could go there, I've got options, and, and you pretty much choose to be where you are, and I choose to be where I am, obviously. And being an introvert, forcing myself to get out of the house and talk to people on a regular basis is a good thing. I don't tend to do a lot of networking otherwise. I'm not huge on social media. I'm not, you know, I've been doing a little bit more with the conferences, but this is really my my networking venue. And because I'm the organizer, it puts me kind of at the center and people approach me. So it prevents me from being the wallflower, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so how about what benefits? What other benefits have you gotten from it? Like any recognitions, any... Are you any, prompting me? <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, I seriously want to know how how's life better from being a... Uh, the the short answer is is that it plugs me into the Angular community as a whole, not just the Boston Angular community. Um, communicating with like Brad and and Brian and and some of the other guys, and then obviously getting involved with NGConf and, and you know being on on that was a tremendous opportunity for me, and it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't gotten involved. You know, I wouldn't have been you know even in the discussions for for doing something like that. Awesome. How about you, Matt? I mean, I think I can kind of relate to what Sharon's saying as far as maybe this is stereotypical, but I think a lot of developers kind of do consider themselves more introverted. I would, I would consider myself that way. And this has kind of helped me get out of my bubble a little bit, like where I feel comfortable, like getting up in front of a group of 80, 100 people every month isn't like usually the first thing on my list of things to do in the day. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, I mean, I think this has helped me just personally as far as like my own personal growth that I feel comfortable with that now. And I really, I actually kind of am more at the point that I thrive on it. Like I really enjoy being at the meetups, being surrounded by like-minded people and having interesting discussions with them, getting to meet new people. And then maybe from more of like a self-serving perspective, it kind of opens my recruiting pool because like Aaron was saying, especially in Utah, Angular developers are in very, very high demand, but it's so hard to find someone that's looking. 
usually the people that are really good at what they do, you know, the company recognizes that they try and keep those employees happy so that they'll stay where they're at. And so trying to find people to join my team has been really challenging. Having this meetup has kind of opened up some more opportunities that way that I'm a little more in touch with with who's looking and the people that like, as soon as I have an open position, I'm going to go after that guy because, you know, he's come and spoke at the meetup or whatever, and and he's a rock star. So I think, I think those are a few of the things that I've benefited from doing the meetup. Awesome. So what do you guys do about, I know that you've sort of talked about this a little bit, but topics for the talks, do you truly just end up doing whatever comes along? I know Matt, you were saying you tried to target maybe some intermediate and some intro, but do you spend really time crafting and deciding, well, I think that we should really get a talk about this and trying to find somebody to talk about that. Or is it more like, please talk and then whatever comes up, you try to fit it in. I think it's both. A lot of times I'll approach somebody to talk and say, hey, I really liked what you had to say on such and such a topic. Is it possible you could expand that into a talk because it's come up more than once that this is a topic of interest? Or somebody will say, I'd like to do a talk. What should I talk on? And I have like, a list that I brainstorm periodically and add things to as, as it comes up. Um, and they'll say, here's my list. Is there something here that, you know, you might be interested in talking about? And usually they find something. But a lot of times there's, there's also people who are going to be doing a, a talk at a bigger conference and they'll say, hey, can I come talk on this at the Angular group as kind of a rehearsal? And, and that's always cool. So it, it's really a balance of both. That's cool. How about cool. you? How about you, Matt? echo the same whatever you know some months it's like dude whoever i can get please just someone come speak and other times it's like man i got like four people i got to choose from so right now i've got a queue of people like i'm I'm pretty well set on on talks but then like i said I, i do that survey so i know what the group is interested in one of the top topics is people are interested in testing do you have any interesting testing speakers coming up in this anytime well, I, soon? Yeah, I was going to say, so I kind of <laughs> look at the community and say, who do I recognize or who does the community recognize as an expert on that subject? So there's this guy named Joe Eames. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's graced us with the, with a talk in September. So not this <laughs> next one, but two months from now. Now I get it. Now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So yeah, we're, we're excited about that one, actually. But I, that's one thing I did. I started doing kind of a call for papers, as it were. I, I look for people to, to submit a proposal. So if someone says, I'm interested in speaking, I send them to a, a form where they can give me all their information. Then I have more details that I can post on the meetup page and people can see who's speaking, exactly what they're going to be speaking about. But also it kind of helps me filter out because I've had some people come and talk and afterwards I was like, I really wish I would have known what they're talking about before they gave the talk because I probably wouldn't have let them speak. Just because... It's kind of like a harebrained idea or something that's kind of propagating bad practices. Like, I don't want that to be what the meetup becomes. I want to make sure whatever is being taught is, you know, relevant and actually good code, things like that. You're talking about me on that? No, that was not you. (laughs) I had situations where very aggressive hiring companies have wanted to sponsor talks and speakers, and then they kind of abuse the privilege, you know, in talking not it, the content that they're providing is not what I would have chosen again, you know, like, yeah, I, I, there have been situations where I wish I had curated a little bit better and you live you learn. So Matt, how did you set up that like RFP thing? It was a pretty easy to do. I actually just put something up on survey monkey and just put in a few questions of, you know, it's essentially just, you know, who are you a little bit about yourself, like a bio, you know, what's, what's your talk about? And what's the target audience like? Are you trying to target intermediate, advanced, beginner, et cetera? Just so I kind of know as I'm organizing the meetup 
I don't want too advanced talks. I don't want too beginner. Like I said, I try and kind of keep something balanced that way. I might actually move away from SurveyMonkey just because I've heard feedback that once you've submitted a proposal, it logs by IP and won't let you submit a second one, hmm. which is obviously a limitation. But overall, that's worked pretty well. I wonder if like a Google form would also be as easy to put together. Yeah, that's probably what I'll end up moving to, actually. And that would be really easy to put together. Cool. Yeah, I, it would probably be cool to put a link to that survey monkey into the show notes for uh, people to see an example of what you asked. Yeah, absolutely. And I can share also the one that I sent out to the new attendees, just the survey that's asked, you know, where are you at personally in your Angular experience? What interesting topics are there? I, I have two surveys that I could share with you. Now, Sharon said something that kind of interests me because I've struggled with the same thing before when organizing the Utah JavaScript users group, and that is having recruiters as sponsors and speakers. So what's your guys' experience and opinion about that? Well, I kind of hinted at it. In the beginning, when I was looking for sponsorship, it was kind of a game that I would play with recruiters as they would contact me. They would say, hey, are you looking? And I'd said, no, but I know where you can find a bunch of people. And by the way, you need to write a check. So it was kind of an easy way to grab some some of the money. And But it is a two-edged sword. A lot of times when you get a sponsor that's willing to step in and be your regular sponsor for space and, and for food, they have the same aims as the recruiters. They're doing it. And it's it's kind of like you have this balancing act. And so we had a situation where we had a space, and they were great with the space, but they didn't want us to have recruiters as the sponsors. And they didn't want to have anybody else who was hiring as the sponsors. And it's Okay, well, that narrows my list of people I can ask for money. Right. So, you know, again, finding that one sponsor who's willing to do both is really ideal, but you'll have to balance a bit if you can't do that. Right. At our meetup last month, we had a recruiter show up, and unfortunately, I wasn't there. This is the first meetup I wasn't able to attend, but a recruiter shows up and afterwards just went through and just started, like, asking really personal questions to, like, all the attendees, like, hey, how much are you making? How much would it take for me to get you to come work where I'm trying to hire at? That really rubbed me the wrong way. I wish I would have been there because I would have said something. Right. The last thing I want is for this to feel like it's a recruiting pool, right? Like I want people to come because they want to meet other people. They can talk about code, show off what they're working on, give a cool talk, whatever it might be. As soon as you get like the pressure of a recruiter, like that starts driving people away, in my opinion. So this is like a new challenge that I just recently had to kind of come to terms with. So actually, what we're going to do to solve this is... In August, we're going to do a job fair slash hackathon. And I think this kind of gives an opportunity that, you know, the people that are trying to recruit, which, you know, it makes sense. We have a big pool of people that know Angular and a lot of them are probably looking for work. So we don't want to shut down that opportunity altogether. But I want a dedicated forum where that makes sense and the people that are looking can come and meet with the people that are trying to hire and then mix in a little bit of a hackathon and some prizes along with it. Should be a fun afternoon. Right. Well, and it's also a benefit for those that are already employed, because if somebody wants to pay them 30% more, then hey, I wouldn't mind finding out about jobs like that. Absolutely. But it makes sense if that's what you're looking for. But I don't want there to be pressure when it's like, I'm happy where I'm at. And that's not why I came to this meetup, you know? Right. So do you allow recruiters to come to the meetups and do any talking at all, like at the beginning or, or end of meetings? I actually haven't had anyone really contact me about it other than, like I say, last month, this guy just showed up and kind of started doing it on his own accord. If, if he would have gone through the proper channel, contacted me first, and we could have worked something out, maybe I would have given him five minutes to do his spiel. But the way he went about it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. How, yeah. how about you, Sharon? If a company is uh, sending a speaker, usually it's implied that they're allowed to say, hey, by the way, we're hiring. As far as recruiters themselves, they don't get any time at the microphone 
But I will sometimes say, you know, by the way, who's hiring? And then, you know, hands go up. It's like, all right, those of you who are looking, these are people who are hiring. We're done. You guys can go talk. And that seems to work pretty well that way. You know, uh, you can start up a conversation if you're interested and otherwise you can just ignore it. So awesome. This has been real good. Okay. Well, let's move on to picks. We always do the uh, guests picks last. So, so we'll start with Aaron with your picks. Okay. So a friend of mine named Dave Geddes, he open sourced a project he's been working on at his work and it's called Overmind. It's uh, a layer that you would put on top of your Angular, Angular applications, which will allow you to lazy load different sections of your app. And it also allows the digest cycle of the different pieces to run independent of each other so that one digest in one section doesn't force the other section to digest. So I'm going to pick that just because of the performance gains. If you don't have to load the pieces of your app that don't run very often, then that code is not sitting, you know, just in time compiled in the, in the memory and, and it should be way more performant. Um, not to mention that the digests running independent of each other are pretty cool. So I'm going to pick that. And then I'm also going to pick a, a feature coming out this Friday or yeah, this Friday in a new Angular 1.3 release. It's called partial digests and it's a feature where on a directive you can, and I'm not exactly sure how it will work, but you can declare that when this scope digests, don't digest all the way up to the root scope. Just go from, from this current scope and down. So you can get a little more performance off of telling your individual sections to, you know, digest independently of each other. So I'm kind of getting excited about some of the performance stuff coming in, in 1.3 and overmind partial digests kind of get me excited. So awesome. All right. I'll go next. Since this is fairly germane to the topic, I'm going to pick a book called Tribes, We Need You to Lead Lead Us, which is by Seth Godin. It's an awesome book about just being a leader in environments that need leaders, rather than waiting for permission, just standing up and saying, hey, I'm going to, there's an issue that's important to me, and so I'm going to take care of it. It's just, It's a fairly short book. It's kind of small print. It's only 150 pages, so it's like really like 75 normal pages. So it's a pretty quick read, but it's very motivational and enabling and empowering. I thought it was a great book, and Seth Godin's a great writer, so I'm going to pick that book, Tribes. And then my second pick is going to be a board game that I played recently. I think this is the second time I've actually played it, but the first time was years ago. It's called Arabian Nights. played it with some friends, and it's basically like the old choose-your-own-adventure books back from the 80s, but in board game format. So you travel around, you know, and it's set in the Arabian setting, so there's all the characters that you kind of hear about Aladdin and stuff and you go through and choose you'll be in put in situations and you choose a an action you want to take and then that determines what happens and you try to kind of collect up these kinds of points but most of the game is just fun just to hear all the different stories and pick endings to d- stories based on you know you're going to choose an action and then something happens you have no idea what's going to happen to you but it's a really fun game had a great time playing with it that'll be my second pick so let's move on to uh our guests, Matt, how about you? So my pick will be this new Deadpool film test footage that got leaked. I just saw this on Twitter last night, actually. No idea if this is actually going to turn into a real movie or not, but there's a little two-minute clip. Uh, looks like it's all CGI. Looks pretty awesome. I was pretty big into comics, especially like when I was in high school. I loved art, so I'd try and like look at the comics and like draw, and Deadpool is one of my favorite guys to draw, so I'm pretty stoked. I hope that turns into a movie. Awesome. 
Love comics. Deadpool's way cool. In fact, I recently got some Deadpool socks, <laughs> which I gave to my daughter. Okay. <laughs> All right, Sharon, how about you? I got two picks. The JavaScript one is Istanbul. It's probably been picked before in the past, but it is a code coverage tool that actually produces this little report because I don't know about you, but even now testing is kind of a struggle, but this kind of gamifies it for me. It lets me see exactly what my coverage is and it you know shows me exactly where I need to to go to, to test all of the branches and where I'm missing coverage. Love it. My other pick is I am currently engaged in, uh, well, I'd say reading, but I do them on audible.com. The Armageddon Day by Day books by J.L. Bourne. They are fantastic and they are helping me survive until Walking Dead starts up again in October. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I knew you were a zombie princess. I knew it. I am. I am. Awesome. Okay, well, let's do the uh, tip of the week. Aaron, do you want to start it off? Upgrade to Angular 1.3 because of the bind once and the partial digesting on your scopes. That's my tip. Get ready to upgrade to 1.3. Awesome. My tip of the week is going to be start an Angular meetup if there is not one in your area that's convenient for you to attend. Love it. Matt. So my tip would be take a look at probably both John Papa and Todd Motto. They have style guides. I think those are really good, especially when you're working with a large team to kind of make sure you're all developing in the same style. Yeah. There's a little bit of difference between the two style guides, but, you know, between the two of them, find what works best for your team. Um, I think that's a good idea to follow. Yeah. I read Todd's. It was good. Yeah. Awesome. And then finally, Sharon. My tip is put your controller on a diet. If it's over 200 lines, it's too big. Ah, awesome. Love that show. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Yep. Thanks, guys. We really appreciate you having a, coming on the show. It was awesome. Great episode. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit com to learn more. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at Mad Glory.